Hello, hello, hello. I know I sound like RuPaul. <laughs> Welcome back to a new episode of Project 25. I'm very happy because I am using the new microphone and I hope that it is worth the investment. <laughs> I don't know how different it's gonna sound, but if you guys are like, it sounds exactly the same, I'm gonna be very disappointed. <laughs> Anyways, I feel like a pro now and yeah, I hope this reflects on the upcoming episode and content as well. Anyways, welcome. If you are new here, thank you so much for being here. And if you are a returning listener, I love you. <laughs> I am very happy that you like the content. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time. I hope that it uplifts your spirits. So for today, I'm very happy to introduce you to this week's guest. She is Sara A. Faruqi. Sara is a mother, community builder, poet, facilitator, and friend. She is a minimalist who strives to generate more joy and impact by simplifying the complex, anchoring in shared values, and homing in on what is most important, people. Her professional background spans strategic operations in the private, nonprofit, and government sectors. She has previously served on the board of directors for Muslims for Progressive Value and on the steering committee for Muslim Alliance for Sexual and Gender Diversity. At 25, Sara celebrated her first year of marriage, mourned the death of her maternal grandparents, became an aunt transitioned from working in the education sector to corporate, wrapped up a year of intense therapy, and was accepted into business school. It was definitely a lot, but Sara embraces the wisdom she has gained, not only from her lived experiences, but from her ancestors and community. This conversation was a lot of fun. It was thought-provoking and feels like a warm embrace. To me, it serves as a reminder of how important it is to have each other's backs because in my opinion, we can be here for many things, but one of those things is to help each other. So, whatever you are in this world, I send you my best vibes for today and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Feel free to share your thoughts on Instagram at project25.podcast or by sending me an email on the episode description. Project 25 was born out of the obsession that we have of figuring things out. Being a 25-year-old or a 20-something is weird because it's fun, confusing, and exciting all at once. <laughs> it's an age where we realize that maybe the goals we had for ourselves weren't really ours to begin with, an age of tons of learning and unlearning, and an age of frequently asking ourselves, what am I doing? And that leaves us with a lot of uncertainty. I'm Andrea Juarez, and I created this project after hitting my quarter-life crisis. <laughs> I decided to look for answers and ask my family members, friends, and people I admire about their experiences being 25, what has changed, what they've learned, and their advice for the new generation of 20-somethings. There is a lot to live and learn, and I am a firm believer that listening is a powerful tool. Even if all the answers are within us, by listening to others, 
we can feel understood, but also reflect on ourselves, learn, and think about what we want for our present and for our future. Welcome, Sarah, to the project and to the podcast. Thank you very much for being here. And we can just start right off the bat. Sounds <laughs> uh, good. I want to ask you, what is your age, titles, how would you describe yourself, and what's a fun fact about you? Yeah, sure. My name is Sara and Sara Faruqi. And you said you want to know my age? Okay. I have to remember my age because after 35, I stopped counting. I'm 37, I think. <laughs> If my son was here, he would fact check that because he always is like, he, he keeps track of it. I'm 37 and my title, I work for myself actually. So I kind of pick a different title every day. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, it's founder and facilitator. You know, I'm a, a practitioner is what I call myself, a, a culture design and strategic operations practitioner. But honestly, that's just one of my titles. I'm also a mom, I'm a partner, I'm a daughter, and those matter to me just as much, actually, if not more than what might be considered a professional quote unquote title. So yeah. And oh, how would I describe myself? Well, I already started to share that uh, of some of those other aspects of who I am. And I live in California. I'm a South Asian and a member of the South Asian diaspora. I was born in, in the UK and came to California when I was very young. Um, also, my identity kind of reflects all those aspects of my where my family has lived. I uh, feel a lot of strong connection with California, where I currently live and in the, in the Bay Area. Yeah, beyond that, a fun fact about myself is that I have dabbled in comedy so I've done some comedic performances <laughs> maybe I shouldn't mention that in a, cool. in, a in a podcast now like is this, as soon as I say that people are like say something funny I'm like no I have to plan to be funny I do I write my script and then I go perform it um Which so I've done tricks at open mics <laughs> yeah like open mic type so cool. event Yeah, so I really enjoyed that. I don't do it so much anymore. But another fun fact is I'm working on an anthology with an incredible woman named Shiva Rufe. It's on ancestral wisdoms, and it's specifically for people of the global majority. So people who identify as Black, Indigenous, non-European ancestry. Thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah, I read about the anthologies. I wanted to submit, but I just couldn't make it to the deadline. But I was like, well, if there's another one. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, I believe yeah. uh, Linda and Ana Maria, she yes. Yeah. Yeah, so. they, they've submitted and we're still working our way through all the proposals. It's been amazing. We had over 50 people submit a proposal and it's just been a beautiful project to, to help steward along. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, keep us posted. <laughs> yes, definitely. And now I wanted to ask you, why did you, because you mentioned these titles and like a little bit of everything that you do, but now I wanted to pick your brain and ask, when you were 25, what did you do? Like, were you studying or were you working? Did you have any hobbies? What did you spend your time in? Yeah. So when I was 25, I was actually newly married. Now I'm oldly married <laughs> to the same partner. I had just, I got married when I was 24. I was working in student affairs at a university, serving on the boards of director for two different community-based nonprofit organizations. 
it was really, really focusing in on like social justice and supporting underrepresented groups. And I was coming to this realization that it's a bit of a, I don't want to say a grind, but it was very emotionally taxing and the financial sustainability was proving to be difficult. Cause at that point I still had my student loans to pay back. You know, I just didn't have a, a strong foundation. So I was starting to think of like, what are ways that I can make, continue to make an impact in these areas that I care about and also potentially and then create a, a, a more stable future for myself. And I was also getting curious about the business sector in general and what levers were available there to drive social impact. So I think around that time, I was like considering going back to school to get my MBA in socially responsible business. I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up, because I certainly didn't feel like I had figured it out by age 25. Still don't necessarily feel like I figured it out <laughs> 12 years later, but that was really what was top of mind for me. And I was going to say something else about that age too, but it'll, it'll come to me later. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's wonderful. And because you were actually mentioning about, you know, thinking about going back to school and yeah. other ways in which you could, um, you know, do social justice work, but also pay your student loans. Yeah. So, uh, besides those thoughts, uh, what else did you think when you were 25? Like, did you have a vision of the world on how things should be or how your life should look like in the future yeah or yeah did you have like a mantra a big belief <laughs> I definitely I had a checklist actually at age 25 uh I had a pretty clear checklist of things I wanted to do I was like okay I want to by the time I'm 30 I want to uh pay off my loans get my MBA buy a house get married I'd already done that and then have a kid like that was really important to me to do in that time span before age 30. I also had this notion that I was not going to get a credit card <laughs> until <laughs> and that I didn't need one. And that actually came back to bite me because I was not establishing my credit score and all of that stuff. So I was like, I'm going to get, oh, I want to get a Prius. That was the other thing I wanted was a Prius. <laughs> a Prius and a kid by age 30. And I was very much very focused on that. Like, And I, I guess those were my ambitions. And I wanted to really just I was very laser focused on that path and I was really ambitious too in terms of like what type of impact I wanted to achieve in the world and you know kind of getting these credentials and getting you know increasing leadership titles and all of the things that I had kind of been indoctrinated in a way to want or to see as success right as success is you know, all these material things that I had just described, the Prius, the house, success is also like having people who report to you and big teams and like, and being considered a quote unquote, important person in your, your industry and your profession. So I think, you know, well, I've always been critical of that. I've always had this criti criticality around some of those things. Even when I was younger, I was very much in like the gravitational force of striving and working and all of the things that kind of pull us forward. Wow. Thank you for saying that. And something that I read about you is that you, you grew up in the in-betweens, like mm, as an immigrant yeah. kid. So yeah. I wanted to ask you about that and how was that like when you were in your 20s? Because I also read about something that you said about how we create culture and 
how something that is accepted in a culture is like very, it's, isn't well seen in another one. So, I mean, as a kid, it must have been like a one experience. But then when you were in, in your 20s, how was that like? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because it's actually very pertinent to that time period because as I mentioned, I got had gotten married at age 24. So I was just like my first year of marriage, um, which was really quite challenging. And we could talk about that too, if you want. The the shadow side, like people talk about the honeymoon period, but there's also a lot of, of it's a big transition, right? So a part of the reason why I got married at that age was not, it was cultural pressure, not so much directly coming from my parents, like saying like, you have to get married and whatnot, but just generally in my community that I grew up in is more of an arranged marriage culture. And people did typically get married younger. And it was not like a norm to necessarily have a partner outside of marriage, right? And so my now husband was, I joke that he was my, he was my friend. And then he was my fiance. There was never any, he was never my boyfriend. (laughs) And so definitely we we knew we wanted to get married. The the love was there. The chemistry was there. Obviously 12 years later, we're still going strong. Praise the divine. But it was a little bit accelerated than maybe what some of my other friends in that age group, you know, were not necessarily getting married at that age. So I wanted to feel like I didn't have to hide this hide him. I could take him to meet my grandparents. I could take him to meet my relatives and that we could start building our life together in a way that felt more culturally acceptable. So that was definitely a part of like the narrative of my life and my journey around that time in my mid twenties. Yeah. And I think also my, my spiritual identity, my relationship to my faith. So I'm a practicing Muslim. Um, I feel like that has also gone through cycles in time as well, right? And I think in my mid-20s, as compared to now, it was much more of a like a cultural identity. And also a lot of my social, what inspired me in my work with social justice was also coming from my faith background, but also the experiences that I had had and people of my community were experiencing in terms of Islamophobia. So my identity at that time was really important to me, but it was much more of like political, cultural. And now I feel it's actually really the the spiritual components and the religious uh, traditions and rituals have become more critical, more of a focus for me. Wow. Thank you very much for sharing that. It's very interesting how things change, you know, like you said, how you've lived your religion. It's like the same religion, but in different cycles and like relationships also go through like ups and downs, right? Yeah. But going back to changes, I wanted to ask you, and this is a very broad question I always tell people, so feel free to tackle like different areas or the area that resonates the most with you. But from when you were 25 to this day, what has changed in the world, in yourself, in your community or in the environment? Yeah. Oh, I feel like so much has changed and everything's also still somehow the same. I don't know if you have a lot of folks kind of say that. No, I do feel like a lot has changed in the span of, you know, more than a decade. I think a lot of it has come come with motherhood. And when my son was born right before I turned 30, so I met my deadline by a few months, which is kind of ridiculous in retrospect to think about that I had like this list of things that I wanted to do before I turned 30. And I was so focused on that. Um, so I think becoming a mom has really opened up a whole new set of priorities for me, right? And 
my titles, my professional titles and who I am in terms of my working identity has become much less of a central force for me. And I feel like a lot of my work in the world has to do with nurturing him and nurturing the next generation and making sure we're positioning people for a, a, to have a healthy world and to have the, the skills they need to build, build a healthy community. So, and that in parallel with that, I think is also where I mentioned, like I find myself returning more to the, like the spiritual roots and the religious traditions. I think a part of that is motherhood and this vulnerability that you feel when you become a mom or a parent of like your heart, it feels like your heart is walking out of your body every day, you know, and going out, going to school, going out in the world. And I think contending that with that vulnerability, you know, literally brought me to my knees, right? And kind of back to my spiritual practices. But then also thinking about reflecting on my own childhood and the way that I was raised and some of the values and traditions that were so important to me as a child and wanting to pass that along. For my son and kind of returning as a part of the ancestral wisdom project as well with the anthology is like looking back at a lot of the wisdom and traditions that I was raised with but as a child I often disregarded them because I was like I was either trying to assimilate into white western American culture and so I was disregarding parts of myself or just with my egocentric mind. I was like, oh, like my elders don't know what they're talking about. They're just doing that because it's tradition. It doesn't make any sense. And now that I'm on my way to becoming an elder, I'm like, oh, (laughs) what my grandmother said was right. What my mom said was right. I get it now. It's like light bulbs going off in your head. And actually one of those comedy performances I was mentioning to you earlier, it was like, you know, um, I I just feel like such an a-hole now. Like I want to go back in time. appreciate my parents and my elders and all the things that they did and the wisdom that they that they tried to impart to me and I was not a willing you know willing to hear it so I think it's the combination of like those facets and I think motherhood was a big pollution in terms of my priorities shifting the way that I view success now versus you know what it meant to me at age 25 And I think the pandemic is another thing that really shifted priorities, right? So I had my whole great resignation moment of leaving my kind of corporate job. I did get the MBA. I did go corporate. Yeah. Yeah, I was part of the whole wave of resignation. Right. Yeah. At the time, I was like, I thought I was the only one. I was just like a scared immigrant kid leaving my job, like didn't know what I was going to do on the other side of it. And then I read a headline like the next month is like, five million millennials left their job last month or whatever it was. So I realized I was one of many million of millions of people who were doing the same thing. So that was, I think, a really pivotal time in terms of shifting my priorities and my focus and the things that mattered to me as a 25 year old didn't matter to me as much anymore. And in part, it's because I had having that focus at 25 actually allowed me to have a foundation for myself at age 35 meant I could shift my priorities, right? Like it meant I could go a different direction because 25-year-old Sara laid a foundation of stability and, you know, paying back the student loans and doing all of the responsible things that allowed 35, it was probably 35 at my great resignation moment, right? It was a couple of years ago. That 35-year-old Sara could take some risks then, right? And could deviate. I'm curious, did you ever get the pre-use? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I test drove the Prius and I was like, 
this is a crappy car. <laughs> but I do have a hydrogen fuel cell car. So I have checked the box of not of having a zero emission or low emission vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And that's beautiful too, which is what you mentioned about realizing how right your elders were, but also mm. how you want to nurture the new generation and like set them up for a healthy future. I think that's beautiful. And it kind of like, I guess it aligns into your priorities now and what do you believe in, which leads me to the next question. Yeah. So Now, what do you do and what are your beliefs? What do I do? In in what sense? Like, what do you mean? What, what do I? Professionally and yeah. like personally. Because you've already mentioned, right? How we started off with, you said some of your titles, but you also mentioned what you used to do when you were 25. So now, And you talked a little bit about this, but I just want you to elaborate a bit more into like, yeah, if you compare Sarah now, and yeah, Sarah 25. So yeah, now what do you, where do you spend your time in? Oh. What do you believe now? Right. Gosh, I mean, I feel like I'm still figuring it, figuring it out in a way, you know, and I actually feel like in this new chapter, so 25 year old Sarah, actually, I feel like I had to ignore parts of myself as a 25 year old, in order to meet some of those other goals that I had, right, that I shared. So things like working on like poetry, and reading poetry, writing poetry, reading books, and things that I had loved as a, in my childhood. It's almost like I skipped over them in my 20s, in order to for more of like material achievements. And now I feel really grateful to be able to return to some of those aspects of myself that are really nurturing. In terms of what I believe, I think at age 25, I I come from a collectivist community. So a community that really values the group almost like ahead of the self and ahead of the individual, right? The individual gathers its meaning based off of its off, most of, off of our connection to this group, right? Um, so it's always been a part of who I am. But in this process of trying to get ahead materially, trying to pay back my loans, trying to get, trying to make it, you know, in the, the material sense, uh, I think I started to subscribe to some of those individualistic notions, right, of self-help and like, I don't need to just focus on my self-improvement and that will be enough to support the community. And it's like, like I should put my, put my mask on first before I can help other people, right? I was very self-focused in that way. And now at, in my mid thirties, I'm starting to realize and, and return, I guess, in some ways to that ancestral wisdom of like, actually I'm entirely community made and I have my responsibilities. I can't have to stop thinking about self first before community first, because then nothing is going to change in our world, right? We actually have to start centering our communities and our, and our responsibilities to community because we're inextricably linked. There's no such thing as an individual right? There's really like outside of that. And of course, there's a balance and there's nuance and there's ways that that collectivist ethos can get misused, right? To manipulate people or, and all of that, which could be a whole other podcast. But I think my orientation and lens now is much more about putting that first, right? And having that orientation and that, that lens. And I'm not so much like I have written, written a whole article about how I don't even use the word self-care and self-love 
anymore, not because I believe in hating yourself or mistreating yourself, but because I'm really committed to challenging the centricity of the individual that is so prevalent in our, at least U.S. culture that where I'm, where I'm based. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Thank you for sharing because yeah, even like, for example, this podcast on Spotify, it's yeah. listed as stories, but also self-help. <laughs> And I think oh, interesting. the self-help <laughs> industry now is worth so much. Billions money yeah. right but for example like i created this podcast to help other people who might have felt the same way that i did like a bit lost and uncertain yeah. about like the future right so like yeah it can be self-help but at the same time it's made out of interviews of people who agreed to participate and it's kind of kind of like a and like people listen to it and like sometimes send their messages and it's kind of like a small community so like i don't know it's Yeah, it's kind of a gray area for me right now. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's hard because like people want to put us into a box so that they know how to, you know, how to promote your work, right? Like which box do you fit in? You know, it even came up for us with the anthology. We we're like, oh, is this for people of the global majority? So should it be on the shelf of, for ethnic studies? Like, is it stories? Like, where does it fit? Because we're trying to break the mold. But in order yeah. to work within the current system, you have to conform on some level. So it's very, it's very tricky. And yeah, the self-help, there's a whole industrial complex with <laughs> yeah. self-help industry. But um, in terms of my beliefs, so you had asked like, what do I believe now? So yeah. I mentioned about like really returning back to this collectivist ethos and amplifying that. I think I also, 25-year-old Sarah, spirituality was like one aspect of who she was, but now it is a central aspect of who I am. That, that's kind of like my primary lens through which I see myself and everything else, like my career, my relationships, all of that is like orbiting around the spiritual core for me. Whereas before, I don't know what my core was. I think my core was more of those ambitions that I mentioned to you and I fit everything around that, you know? And I think that's probably the biggest shift that I've experienced in terms of, I don't know if I would, call it a belief as much more it's like a my way of being in the world has has shifted that is so beautiful i loved hearing that <laughs> and so right now, right now like the next question is about the biggest challenge mm -hmm. but it's up to you we can also skip it let me know i'm happy to talk about it and it's hard to say the biggest challenge and also thinking about it through this collectivist lens right like The biggest challenges I think are the ones that we're all facing right now, like climate change and violence and, you know, war and poverty. Like these are, and I've experienced manifestations of those larger challenges on the personal level, right? And I think when I was age 25, I was actually closer to a lot of those challenges. It was, very, it was much more present in my, my life and my psyche, which I think was also a big part of my focus at age 25 was kind of healing some of the things that had happened to me in childhood and that I experienced in childhood. One example that comes to mind for me is, you know, I, when I was age 19, I was actually denied health insurance. So I live in the U.S. We don't have universal health coverage. I was a otherwise healthy, you know, generally healthy 19-year-old. I didn't have any major medical conditions, thankfully. But because I had gone to see a therapist, 
because of some um, post-traumatic stress and some things that I was experiencing at that age, I was considered to be like a liability for the insurance and I was denied coverage at age 19. And so I was very incredibly stressed in that moment and incredibly disappointed and feeling incredibly let down by society because I, I did the quote unquote right thing of like going to get help for some of my problems. And then that was ended up being used against me to deny me a basic right. Thankfully, since that time period, there's been changes in the laws and policies and people cannot be denied for pre-existing condition thanks to the Affordable Care Act and some of Obama's policies and things like that. There's still a long way to go, but you know, like I, that was a challenge, a big challenge for me. You know, I came from a immigrant community, immigrant family. My father was, had decided to become an entrepreneur at that point. He wasn't making very much and he also didn't have to benefit, you know, the health benefits of having an employer. And I was like leaving to go off to college on my own. And so, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if I necessarily say that was the, the biggest challenge per se, because what feels like the biggest challenge in the moment can shift and ebb and flow over the span of, of our lives. But within that one challenge, there are so many things wrapped up. There was the underlying trauma that I was trying to address by seeing a psychologist. There was the financial aspect of not being able to afford coverage. And then there was this political aspect of not being protected and being able, being denied access. So yeah, that's, that's one story that, that comes to mind. Yeah, it was a lot. I'm sorry. That sucks. That's awful. So yeah. I'm glad there are like, there have been some policy changes Because, yeah. yeah, that's just putting profit over people, right? Ugh. Yeah. I know. <laughs> It's still, there's still a lot of people who don't, who still are in that kind of situation or don't have access, access to care. I'm glad for the incremental improvements that have happened since then. But yeah, yeah. I don't know if you, did you mean the biggest challenge at age 25? Because I can also talk about that first year of marriage. First year of It's up to you. If you want to talk about that, like we can also... Like, yeah. talk about that yeah <laughs> no it's, I don't need to go into it in detail but I think I think a lot of folks can relate to this like the shock of like needing to like, realign your life to like to integrate with another person right and there's a lot of things that you learn about yourself about the other person from simple things to like where do you put the toothbrush you know toothpaste in the morning my husband has a whole like way of putting things in the dishwasher and you know I, I was also having a lot of family ruptures around that time as well, because I mentioned there's a lot of cultural pressure around getting married. Um, and so things are coming up for me in that regard. I went back to therapy because I had insurance and I had some benefits. So that was extremely helpful. But it was it was just a very like people always talk about like that first year of marriage is like the honeymoon period, like the best year of your life. And I'm like, I missed the memo. Like what? <laughs> like that was one of the hardest years. Of, for, for sure, it was one of the hardest years in our relationship. Uh, until we had our son. And then that was like a new level of hard. But yeah, and I like to talk about it because I think I want people who might be experiencing that. Also the same with parenting, like people in those early days of parenting, they're like, oh, your bundle of joy and like, congratulations. But the reality is like, your entire life has imploded on itself, right? <laughs> so I just want to normalize that these big life milestones that people assume should be joyful, like getting married, having a kid, and they are, they are immense blessings, but it's a mix. It's always a, a mix of things. And I think people don't talk about the challenging things enough. And so when they experience it, they feel like something is wrong with them. Right. And 
like the things wrong with you, this shit is actually really hard. <laughs> yeah. They have like positive expectations and they don't see coming like the yeah right like the full picture (laughs) right right yeah yeah and Sarah can you share about a time in which you succeeded whatever success means for you you talk about how when you were 25 you had a certain view of success now you have a whole different view but when you were 25 or over the years if you can share about a time in which you succeeded, whatever that means to you, and you were happy, and what happened, and what did you do? Again, like I, going back to what I was sharing earlier about this collective ethos, and I feel like any success that I've quote unquote realized is a shared success, and is like a deeply interconnected with so many other other people and individuals. But and and for me, it's not like one particular moment or event that happened that I look back at and say, you know, this was a, this was my success. Um, I think it's more of a a persistence. Like for me, the fact that I have persisted and I have continued to change and grow and try new things. The fact that in that great resignation moment, you know, that I was terrified around that I moved through that and, and realized like the way that I was living was not sustainable, was not healthy. I was not on a healthy path. I was not living in alignment with my values and taking the step with a lot of help and support, right? And also a lot of privilege because as I mentioned, I was able to get the graduate degree and get the the corporate jobs and get this financial stability, get the house. I also have a partner with, I call him my friend with benefits because he's, he's my literal, he has literal benefits, health insurance benefits that I was able, Funny. you know, you know I mean, but like talking about that, the incident earlier in my life around not having health insurance. So the thought of becoming a solopreneur and becoming a freelancer and working for myself was if I didn't have that friend with benefits, <laughs> you know, because I didn't want that experience of not having the health coverage for myself and my family. Um, I w- it would not have been possible. So um, I want to name all of those facets because I think, again, people walk around, sometimes people tell me like, Oh, that was so brave of you to do that. I'm like, thank you. It was. And all the other things that you're not seeing that were supporting me to help me make that decision. I want to a honor that because I'm grateful for it, but B help people to realize that it's not just about what an individual has or doesn't have. It's the whole community that, that is wrapping around them or not wrapping around them. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. I I think it's so important to be transparent. Yeah. Like, (laughs) so thank you for your transparency. And Sarah, can you, now share a time in which you failed as well whatever that means to you so what happened how did you handle the situation and what did you learn the first thing that comes to my mind so yeah having a kid my son is now seven and a half it's like the universe handing your butt to you every single day he will call out or he'll, he actually called the family meeting. He called us in my partner and I, my husband and I, because we had instituted a rule about no screen times on the weekdays. And he was like, okay, I hear you on this rule, but I want my screens back. And we're like, okay, why? And he's like, well, because you and dad you are on your devices. Right. And so, I mean, this is not like, and maybe not the epic failure story that you were hoping for. Um, I think I need more time to like 
dust off my memories. I have plenty of epic failures, I'm sure. But yeah, so just like he he was he just holds up a mirror and is like, yeah, actually, we're not modeling the habits that we want for him and the way of being for him, you know. And so I think it's just a constant reminder of really striving to be uh to improve and to be to show up as a better family member and to do, make the changes that are required to do that and to be present for each other so yeah I feel like he's all constantly he's just calling us out like hey like holding you accountable <laughs> holding us accountable exactly but it's actually it's helped I mean it's really helped yeah. I feel like it exacerbated probably during that pandemic time but just the level in which I feel so constantly distracted or I'm not really paying attention to what people are saying because I'm on my phone or I have an idea. Like I randomly want to know like what's I think of like, oh, what's the population of this place? And then I can go look at it immediately on my phone and it just takes me out of the present, the present moment. So, yeah, I feel like it's less of like an epic failure and more of a myriad of everyday kind of failures yeah. of not living up to expectations for myself and ex- the expectations that my child has for me and that's valid like I don't expect anyone to like come up with a sub story or anything I just like yeah. want people to express themselves and tell me what they think right yeah <laughs> so I mean the, that's totally fine the big regrets that I hold and I generally don't really hold regrets because I feel like everything happens for a reason to teach you something that brings you to yeah. your moment you know but Going back to what I said earlier about my parents and wishing that I had shown more appreciation, more respect as a child, especially now as a mom and like <laughs> dealing with my son's attitude. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you don't even realize everything that we try to do for you. I really if I could go back in a time machine and like kiss the ground that my elders walked on. And I that's probably the one thing that I wish I could go back in time and do but now I'm, I'm committed to doing the best that I can to show that appreciation with the years that I have left thank you and one more question this is not the final question but it's leading up to the final one okay. I want to ask you what has motivated you or what motivates you it really is love that motivates me now and it's it's like it's love for the divine that has created me and cre created all of creation and a desire to respond to that love that I have been created from, right? And to live my life, every act and every breath as an act of gratitude. And the way that I show that gratitude and the way that I can show that gratitude is in service to other creation, right? There's a scholar that I love and follow called Omid, Omid Safi. Um, he's a scholar of Islamic studies and he talks about justice in the world as an expression it's like the, it's the overflowing of love into into the world right and so yeah I think love is really the driving motivator for me and actually as I say that I think when I was 25 it was actually anger that was motivating me so I was involved in a lot of community work and justice work at that time as well but I was so close I was so hurt I was so I was closer to those experiences that I mentioned of being disappointed and let down. And so I think it's understandable that the, the anger would be very present. But I think I was really angry and that was what was fueling me. And I wanted to have the secure, like security and things that I didn't feel like I had. And that was kind of, that was a part of the, the driver for me at that point. And 
you know, I feel like it's really love that feels like the central motivator, love and gratitude. And one thing too, there's a frame as well of like every, every person kind of being like an unrevealed name of the divine, right? Like every person has something that they have, that they've been imbued with like a divine attribute. And so I think for me now, it's like less of like, let me figure out, like, I'm like a special unicorn. Let me take all of this, like self-help, you know, self-help advice and more about, okay, I need to like reveal there's something that there's a purpose. I don't necessarily need to fully understand that purpose, but I need to honor the fact that each of us has purpose and respect that. And it's more of a process of like trying to reveal what the attribute is that I was brought here to bring, but also recognizing that every person that I'm interacting with, every being that I'm interacting with is also, is also revealing something and revealing and has an aspect of this divinity that needs to be appreciated, revered, and listened to. That is also impacting my motivation yeah because like you said everyone is connected right yeah we're all one whole <laughs> right yeah yeah so now I'm like a kind of like a, it's more of a spiritual journey for me I'm like okay like this is what I want to do with my professional work but how is it tied to more of this larger ethos this larger calling as opposed to leading with more of the material focus and I want to ask you as well, what are your goals or plans for the future? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I really want to build my life around my relationships and my family responsibilities, um, which again, I think 25-year-old Sarah, not that I was like, I don't want to make myself sound like a complete a-hole. <laughs> I was just like self-centered. <laughs> and was like focusing on herself and all of that um and I just didn't I don't think I had the life experience at that point to realize so like I'm thinking about my relationships I'm thinking about my parents as they get older I'm thinking about my child my family my community and actually embracing being a caregiver which I feel like I had internalized this notion when I was younger like this like feminist manifesto um around like uh, my value isn't being able to earn money for myself right and because caregiving has been so devalued by society and because it's so risky because of the fact that it is not compensated and there's no safety nets in our society um but it's not so it's like everything that comes with caregiving in this context but actually being a person who is giving care as a role if we think about it ancestrally is actually really really important in our communities and our families. So I'm thinking about how do I design my life so that I can actually be available to support my community, to support my family, to support my parents. And so, yeah, I don't feel like I, what are my, like, I guess I have goals and plans. Like I'm working on this anthology. I'm hoping that that has the opportunity to impact many people and can bring inspiration and help others connect with their ancestral wisdom. I have a practice conscious collectivist and I host potlucks and virtual potlucks and workshops and so I'd love to have the opportunity to continue growing that and expanding that but I don't know it's hard for me to answer that question because I think another way that I identify is really as this learner like I just feel like my goal is to continue learning continue striving to continue deepening my spiritual practice and 
grounding in that. So yeah, I mean, I could give you a list of goals and I'm working on my business plan for the next year and all of that. But ultimately I wanted to share the things that all that are the things that really matter to me at the, at the center. Yeah. Thank you for saying that the way I got it is that you share with me like the things that are driving those yeah. goals yeah. as in so not the like but like bullet points the bottom, but yeah. like but yeah. the the drive Thank right you very yeah much. after that after my last list with the Prius and the house I'm like I don't know if I if I want to do that again exactly <laughs> so. love that so I'm so appreciative that you told me that yeah and just the last question so what advice do you have for today's 20 somethings or what do you wish you knew when you were 25 I mean I think it's really this message of embracing our interdependence which I think a lot of the younger generation they're I mean I'm continuing to learn learn from them too and continue to be utterly confused <laughs> by them as well I don't know how old you are I'm 26 now <laughs> okay 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 so yeah so I st- I'm like in awe of the younger generation and just the the way of seeing the world, I think there's so much more awareness around equity issues and just a real momentum around creating a better future. And I still think I, I sense kind of a, not a disregard for tradition, but I think just collectively we have not had enough space, especially for global majority folks living in white majority places, to really connect with our ancestral traditions and So my advice, I wish at age 25, some of my elders have passed away and I can, it's like a portal to another dimension has closed and I can no longer ask them questions. I can no longer get their recipes. I can no longer ask for their advice, right? So I think my advice for younger folks is to take time to honor that ancestral wisdom, especially the things that don't make sense to you or that you might've disregarded. Take the time to talk with your elders and really spend time with them and also to really cultivate your relationships above anything else. You're, and like to really live into that interdependency and be in healthy recipro- reciprocity and demonstrate that in, in the way that, you know, you build your communities around you. Thank you very much. And also, is there anything else that you'd like to share that you think it's important and I didn't ask you? It's just so, it's been such a joy to think through this lens of 25-year-olds. Sorry, like to going back, I, I definitely, I want to go and actually ask my friends this question, right, of some of the questions that you've asked today, because I think it actually inspires a lot of introspection and a lot of really good dialogue and to, to have it like people can ask in like general terms like oh like what was your younger self like and what has changed but to have that specificity of like what was happening that year when you were 25 and how does that compare so I think it's a wonderful concept and I am grateful that you invited me to talk with you about it thank you very much I'm very grateful for your presence and for your stories thank you so much Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with your friends or with someone who may benefit from this conversation. You can also rate the show and leave a review and follow it on Instagram at project25.podcast. And if you'd like to share your story or know someone who does, feel free to email me at andrea.project25 at gmail.com. 
You can also send me your comments and suggestions in case you want to see someone here. And that's all from me. Bye-bye.